The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long Your life will pass by as a vapor And you will stand before the judgment seat of God And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment That's to come He is the shelter From the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of His name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will you surrender to His majesty. He can save you from the might of all your sin. This is the fight in which He stands in perfect victory while you have breath. have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to he is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. The storm is breaking now upon America and the whole world. And we are going to see catastrophic destruction in many areas. Fires, floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, volcanoes, war, famine, homelessness, people losing their jobs. I'm very concerned about all of that, and I've been crying out to the Lord for deliverance, for revival in America. But I have been preoccupied with a a whole other issue. It consumes my my thoughts. It consumes my my time through the day. I may be fulfilling some other responsibility, but it is just right there. What is preoccupying me is I want to be closer to Jesus. I want that complete, total intimacy with Jesus. And so I've been spending time praying about that, searching the scriptures. John 17 talks about that intimacy between Jesus and the Father in such a powerful way and their desire to be equally close to us and to have us close to them. There is a, there's an incredible place that is reserved for us that I have barely even begun to imagine possible. Before you can enter that place of intimacy with Jesus, you have to know it exists and that it's possible to go there. And one of the ways, the only way I know to go there, is specific acts of obedience as directed by the Holy Spirit as he comes and opens before us the path he wants us to take. This is not humanism, it's not hype. It's something very real, visceral. I'm going to share with you a part of a story from Reese Howell's intercessor today, and the reason for my sharing it is that I want you to see there are very specific acts of obedience that are required as directed by the Holy Spirit for those who would enter into intimacy. This is not an intellectual argument. It's a very practical, day-by-day, walking with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, as we are taught by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit into those actions necessary to allow the Holy Spirit to bring us into greater intimacy with Jesus. I'm going to begin reading in a chapter called Called to a Hidden Life. In the book I have, it's page 101. Many drunkards in the village had been gloriously converted. There were some men that failed to get through. They attended the meetings. They showed a desire to follow the Lord but were such terrible slaves to alcohol that the enemy still kept his hold on them. There was a need once again to bind the strong man and spoil his goods. Actually, the intercession proved to be the first step away from a public ministry into a hidden life. For three years... After his day's work was done, Reese Howells had been at the mission every night. There were meetings five evenings a week, 
and the other two were spent in visiting men and women in their homes. His work in the coal pit took him from 7 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. He worked at the face of the coal mine with the pick and the axe. It was the hardest place to work. There also had to be a two-mile walk each way in all weather. There was no time to attend any other meetings, for he hardly ever left his flock except during the week of the Landendrod Convention to which he took as many of the new converts as possible. The work had become very well established. Many people were coming in from the surrounding districts on Sunday evening. It was a continuous revival. The outward effort of the village had been that, whereas three years before, the brewery was sending up two wagons and a cart loaded with barrels of beer each fortnight on paydays, it now came down to one cart, and that only half full. The only enemy we had, said Mr. Howells, was the devil himself. All the people respected us, for they knew we were out for their welfare. Although inwardly we were often going through trials and testings, they were never told of these. It was a personal revival for them. Oh, how precious the name of Jesus was to us. In the open-air meetings, the district was blessed be the name of the Lord. The difficulty Mr. House had was to find time for prayer. Really, his only opportunity was on the two-mile walk to the mission. One night on which he was over a lonely common, he always tried to be alone for that mile, and after leaving the last house behind, he would remove his cap and continue in an attitude of prayer. The conventions of those days made it an unheard of thing not to wear a head covering when out of doors. But when alone, the presence of God was so real that he always bared his head. Now, I want you to note as I share this. He took very specific actions in response to the Holy Spirit. One of those very simple actions was when he was walking outside and he was praying. He removed his cap. This became so much a habit that he never once crossed the common without putting his cap in his pocket. And when returning late at night, after the lights of the town were put out, he would go all the way like that. But curious though it may seem to us today, nothing would have induced him to go hatless in the daytime. As he said, the hatless brigade was unknown at that time. This apparent trivial habit was the first thing used by the Spirit to make him dead to the influence of the public. One Sunday morning very early, he was with the Lord in prayer. The glory of that morning was far brighter than the light of the sun. There was such a peace and solemn hush that I felt the place was surely holy ground. I'd felt it sometimes before, but it was far more intense that morning, as though Isaiah's words had become a fact, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days. The Lord then showed me that the place of abiding in the intercession to which he had called me, that is, for the drunkards to be released from their alcohol, he was to remain in the attitude of prayer all day, for the first time, I was not to take my hat with me. To walk through town, to go to the mission, would be impossible. I could never do it. Never. 
Well, the glory soon passed away, and the sun had no more light than usual, if anything, less. And oh, the darkness that came over me. How I wished I'd not gone out that morning. Even fasting was not to be compared with this humiliation. Only those at home were involved in the test of fasting. But in this thing, I was to be a spectacle before the whole town. Never had they seen a man out of doors without a hat. When the time for the mission came, the Holy Spirit told him he was not to go unless he obeyed. Well, it was on his knees the Lord asked him his reason for not wanting to obey. Did he want to go to the Lord's presence? Did he want to go out of the Lord's presence? Well, no, it wasn't that. The only reason he could give was that the influence of the public would be too great over him, and he wouldn't be able to stand it. Well, the Lord told him that that was the very reason why he'd ask him to do it. And he was not to preach again on being dead to the world until he had a complete victory over it. How much of the world is in us when we often think we are dead to it, commented Mr. Howells. I used to laugh about the man who put the salvation cap on, but I wish that day that the Holy Spirit would allow me to wear even that, but he would allow no compromise. I had to say, I am a bondservant. You pull me through. Now, what I'm sharing with you is a story on Reese Howells, the intercessor. And what I'm wanting you to pick up as I share this story is that the Holy Spirit will call us to specific acts of obedience. And when we become totally immersed in that obedience. Okay. Now you're in a place where God can answer your prayers. I recognize what this is. I have a an old Sonata, Hyundai Sonata that I drive. It was given to me. It was my granddaughter's car. She took out one side of the car on a telephone pole that was too close to the edge of the highway. And I was ashamed to be seen in that car. There were times when I would drive out of a restaurant another way so that no one would see the dinged-up side of the car I was driving. It was straight-up pride. And the Holy Spirit confronted me and said, I gave you this car to drive. Why are you ashamed? Well, it hurts my pride. I want people to think well of me. Why? Because I'm proud, Lord. All right, don't do it again. Don't do it again. And I haven't. In fact, I'll go out of my way to drive past places showing that pretty wiped out side of the car. Why? Because I recognize that obedience to Jesus in areas like this humble my heart before him and bring me into his presence. And as I said at the opening of the broadcast, the cry of my heart I am preoccupied with and that is to be near Jesus. Well, that's not just some intellectual deal. That's not some sentimental feeling. You get near to Jesus by taking the specific actions he's asked you to take. For example, he's asked some of you to come to the National Prayer Chapel. 
but we're a house church. And you have not come because you don't want to be in a real small congregation because that might be embarrassing to you. You don't want to go to a house church. You want to go to a a large church where you can go in and get lost. Or you'd rather watch online. If the Holy Spirit has called you, and if you don't obey, you can get no closer to Jesus. In fact, you'll be moving further and further away from him. Intimacy with Jesus comes out of doing the uncomfortable at his command. If we are unwilling to do that uncomfortable at the order of his command, we will have no intimacy with Jesus. The Howells family was well known and highly respected in the town. The thought of disgracing his parents made the test doubly hard. Reese thought if he could avoid his mother, he would not mind so much, because this, on top of the fasting, would be sure to make her think that something was wrong with him. He would go to any length to avoid hurting her feelings. I was upstairs praying, trying to get as much strength as possible, but the Lord seemed to be very far away, often in a test. Now, please I want you to hear this very clearly. Often in a test, it seems that there is no God in the world. That's true. In my life, God has hidden himself at the most extreme times of testing. After he has given me direction, I know what he wants me to do, but it will be embarrassing if I do it. He will withdraw so that I can't touch him and wait to see whether I will obey him. His mother knew he was later than usual and heard him coming downstairs. She came to meet him with his hat in her hand, brushing it for him with a mother's loving care. When I told her I was not wearing a hat, she recalled, saying, I thought, uh, he, re- he recalled, I thought of old uh, Simon's word to Mary, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. What it means for parents to see one of their sons walking on a strange path. I would also say what it does to a husband to see a wife walking that strange path. Or what it does to a wife's heart when she sees her husband walking that path. That's why it's vital that we walk together that path. It saves a lot of pain and anguish between us. I shall never forget going through the town that day and passing people going to other churches. Talk about being dead to the world. Every sensitive nerve in me was alive to the world's influence. I was not much better than a blind man. It seemed that the devil had gathered all of the forces of hell to attack that simple obedience. In itself, there was nothing to it. I was only called to spend the day in the attitude of prayer, and that meant a little separation from the world. Oh, the depths of this respectable self-nature. It was a deliverance to reach the mission. It was like the city of refuge from the avenger of blood, and among ourselves there was always a laugh after a test. But it was not only on Sunday the attitude of prayer was to be maintained, whether working, walking, or anything else. The soul for whom he was praying, those souls were to be upon his heart. So that meant going every day without his hat. 
to an extent, I had the victory over that. But it was a real death to go to work without a hat. However, it had now become harder to disobey than to obey. And the people became used to seeing me without a hat. In separating him to himself, the Lord was preparing to take Reese much further than this. He was going to call him away from public ministry altogether. And the next step came through an attack of the enemy on his special friend and co-worker in the mission. They loved each other by nature, observed Mr. Howells. He He was one of the most lovable persons I'd ever met. Also, like Apollos, he was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. But the enemy, through some believers, began to tell his friend that so long as he remained with Reese Howells in the village, he would never be at his best. He needed to have a work of his own. The Lord showed Mr. Howells the seriousness of this attack and that he was the only one who could save his friend. The only way you can do it is by giving him the very thing the enemy says he will never get. Why don't you give the leadership of the mission to him? Retire behind and be an intercessor for him. Pray that the mission will be a greater success in his hands than in your hands. And he reminded Reese that this was one of the very things he'd spoken to him about years before at the Linden Drawed Mission. He had to face the effect it would have on his life. For three years, he said, I had put all my time, money, and everything into that mission. I'd been over there every night. And now, when there was great prospects, he was asking me to step aside and help behind a friend as he had previously stood behind me. The mission was growing and would become still more popular, and the people naturally would attribute all the success to my friend. They would never see nor remember that it needed someone to put down the foundation. It was a great inward conflict to allow my friend to get the outward success. This was the next grade of self the Holy Spirit was going to deal with, and it was a hard process, allowing self to be replaced by his divine nature. For three days, I could not willingly accept it, but I knew I would be pulled through. It was God's way of working one up to having as much joy in a hidden life as in an open and successful one. If my aim in life was to do God's will, then I could truly say either way would be an equal joy. I have in many ways been hidden away in that secret life. And oh, the pain of it. But then, oh, the joy of it. I was walking with my wife, as is our custom in the morning. As we were walking, we were speaking about how wonderful it is to finally come to a place where we unequivocally say, Lord, we trust you. And our joy is found in you, Jesus. It's not found in our success Sadness is not found in our failure. Everything is found in trusting Jesus. And we confess to each other that we were extremely happy to be hidden away for as long as he wants us to be hidden away. It's okay. It's only it's okay that Six or seven people come and watch the video. It's not numbers that turn our heart. It's making those decisions to obey the Holy Spirit in very specific acts of devotion. 
to Jesus that brings us into that intimacy with him that my heart so longs after. I have tasted intimacy with Jesus. And it has become everything to me to be in his presence, to be filled with his presence, to have him speaking to me and telling me what to do and where to go and how to do it. But, oh, to get there is the painful separating of ourselves by the Holy Spirit from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The story of Madame Guyon, in which the process of sanctification was to seem very plainly proved a help to him at this time. Even as she was in the dungeon in France, she would say, I ask no more in good or ill, but union with thy holy will. That's my prayer. I ask for nothing more but to be in union with the holy will of God, doing what he asked me to do, being faithful before him. That's where intimacy with Jesus comes. That's the source from which it flows. It doesn't come out of intellectual understanding. It doesn't come out of some success. It comes out of obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he separates us from our pride, as he separates us from the world and calls us into himself. God brought Reese through and made another deep change in his nature. Like Jonathan, he was able to love the man who took his place. He talked it over with his friend and told him how God was leading him and that for henceforth the mission would be his totally and that he would stand behind him in prayer. He said, build it as a great mission. The Lord will win souls through you and I will be praying for you. I want the mission to become a greater success through you than it has been through me. See, this is where oneness with Jesus comes. This is where intimacy comes with Jesus, where we give up our lives, where we don't cling to our ego, we don't cling to our success, but we willingly give it up. Now, shortly after Mr. Howells had handed the mission over to his friend, a letter came from London asking him to go up to London the following week to be with Mr. Gossett as a guest. His first thought was that he couldn't go because he'd been called to gain a new place of intercession, and it would take three months. He went to bed feeling he'd made a real sacrifice, but the next morning the Lord asked him, Why are you not going to London? Because of my intercession. Why can't you intercede in London? The Holy Spirit would always probe down to the very root of the self that he wanted to get at. Tell me your real reason for not going, he insisted. Mr. Howells had to confess that it was because he could not face going to London without his hat. I had victory over being without one at home, he said, but going to London like that to be a guest of people of rank was out of the question. I knew Mr. Gossett would never allow me to insult him. I was sensitive to other people's feelings, and after his kindness, I would have refused any amount of money rather than insult him. 101 excuses that the flesh makes. 
but the Holy Spirit would have none of them. He had planned all of this to prove whether I would obey him rather than man. People say very flippantly sometimes that it's an honor to be a fool for Christ's sake. Well, it's quite another thing actually to be called to be a fool by the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times he's called me to be a fool. To do things, to say things, that other people look at me. This one pastor looked at me and he said, I don't understand you, Ray. You're always out there on the edge. You never settle down into some comfortable ministry. What's wrong with you? I just laughed. I said, what's wrong with me is that I want Jesus more than ministry. What's wrong with me is that I want Jesus. And so when he tells me something I must do, I do it. Now, sometime soon, I'm going to tell you a decision that I made at the command of God that seemed utterly insane and embarrassing. At his command, I finally did it. But that's another story I'll share another day. The conflict, Mr. Howells writes, was sharp. It even came into his mind momentarily whether it was possible to turn back from this life of surrender, this bond slave servant, this daily dying, and just live an ordinary Christian life and preach the gospel and help the poor as many of his friends did. Oh, how often that thought has come to me. But the Spirit held him to the reality of his living martyr position. Romans 12, the first verses. With no more claim on his life here than a dead man has. There were some questions, as there always will be until you actually come up to becoming one with the Holy Spirit and what he was doing. But he knew that he had no choice in the matter and that he would dare not show any real unwillingness lest he should forfeit the privilege of his living martyr position. The spirit who never pushes drew him through with cords of love by showing him the bitter cross the Lord bore. As the scripture says, he has no form nor comeliness, He was despised and rejected of men, smitten of God and afflicted. In his mission, observed Mr. Howells, we used to sing, Where he leads me, I will follow. I will go with him through the garden. I will go with him all the way. But what a struggle it was to go there with him now. I asked him to show me through the scriptures that he had called his servants to do this kind of thing before in case Mr. Gossett and his friends asked me to give them scripture for what I was doing. If he did that, then I would, I said I would go. Like a flash, he brought before me John the Baptist and Elijah, the one clothed only in a garment of camel's hair and his food, locusts and wild honey, the other spending three and a half years between a cave and a widow's home where they were eating the last meal every day. This had been their way of the cross to power. Now, please hear me. There is no way to power in the gospel of Jesus Christ except by way of the cross. It is only through crucifixion of your pride, your self-love, that power comes in the gospel. I've seen people, I said this yesterday, they walk by a mirror and they can't help but look at themselves and admire how handsome they are, how beautiful they are, and they primp. 
Self-love is a drug, and it's addictive. It's as bad as cocaine or heroin. Self-love is what pumps us up, causes us to say, I'm somebody. People come to me sometimes who don't know me well. And they say, Pastor, could you help me? I have poor self-esteem. And I say, yes, let's, let's sit down and talk about that. And right up front, I tell them, look, you're in a very wonderful position because you've told me you have low self-esteem. Well, let's work right now on getting rid of all of your self-esteem. It used to be called pride. You don't need it. You don't need that self-esteem. You don't want it. Let's put it in the garbage today. And then I lead them into an understanding of who Jesus is. And that they must be crucified with Christ. So please, today, if you have poor self-esteem, you are well on your road to Jesus Christ. He says, the Lord would always corner me. And then I would laugh and say, yes, Lord, you pull me through. So I gave in. But this time I had grumbled a little. And when he reminded me of John the Baptist, I was afraid he might send me to London lacking more than just a hat. So I kept myself busy all that day in case he would add a little more to the obedience. The day came to go to London. His mother had become used to his being without a hat in his own hometown, but she had it ready and well brushed that morning. That was the first test. The devil also suggested to him that it would be better to take a cap in his pocket in case it rained, but he had to say that an umbrella would be more appropriate. When the train was steaming into Paddington, he said he felt like a man going to the scaffold. Mr. Gossett was there to meet him, gave him a royal welcome as he stepped out of the carriage, and then he put his head into the compartment and said, You've left your hat behind. No, I didn't bring one with me. What? Coming to London without a hat? Oh, dear, no. You must realize, Reese, that you're not in the country now. You cannot come to London without a hat. Then I must go back. It's not a question of going back, Mr. Gossett replied. It's a question of wearing a hat. I never pitied any man as I did my host, said Mr. Howells. When we drove from Paddington to Piccadilly in an open cab, he was as red as a lobster. On the way, he said, I have a new cap at home. It's a very expensive one. It does not fit me, and I will give it to you. I had to tell him then that if I was given all the caps in London for wearing one that side of Christmas, I would not take them because to go without a hat was one of my positions of abiding to gain a place of intercession. He told me afterward that his pride had never been touched as it was then. The Lord had tried to reach it before, but he would not allow anyone to get near it. He said he had blushed more during that drive than he had in all of his lifetime before. If the cap had aroused such conflict, what about the fasting and the plain food? What would he think of Daniel's menu? While waiting for the meal, he read out to Mr. Hal all the invitations to dinner. What a burden came over me, Reese said. Another stand had to be made. I knew I could only take two meals a day of the simplest food. So what was the use of all of these dinners? I didn't say a word. I could never speak until I was compelled to. I didn't have too much strength to tell it even then. The bell went. We sat down to dinner. All of this has been prepared for you, he said, and I want you to taste everything on the table. Then I had to confess that for the next three months, I was only allowed to take two meals a day of bread and cheese and soup. He put both hands up and exclaimed, What have you done to me, Reese? 
Who will they say my guest is? One of the old prophets? We both had a great laugh, and I told him the test it had been for me to obey the Lord and go to London. I told him that to insult him after all of his kindness was more than I had bargained for when I took my place of abiding. To think you were doing all of this to reach a lost soul was his reply. And here I am now an old man, and I've done practically nothing to reach them. Then he told me, Don't disobey God, even if the king should invite you to dinner. At the same time, he said, I can't walk with you in Piccadilly. You'll have to walk two yards in front or two yards behind me. (laughs) We laughed for hours, such a cross, but such a glorious victory. Mr. Gossett took him to visit his friends, and he had a great welcome and a great time with all of them, especially with Lord Radstock and Sir Robert Anderson. The Lord was testing me to see whether that class of society would touch me, and I could say I was absolutely dead to it all. But only on the last day did God's real purpose in the visit come to light. The night before he left, Mr. Mr. Gossett said to his room, came to his room and said, God has revealed something to me. He's told me he is going to bless my house because you are here. As he blessed the house of Obed-Edom because the ark of God was there. And as he spoke, Mr. Hal said, the place was filled with God. I could hardly stand it. That was a reading from Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb. You are going to have to take very concrete and specific steps in action in response to the commands of the Holy Spirit if you are going to experience what I so greatly desire, which is that complete and full intimacy with Jesus. I want the presence of God to be so great that I'm overcome by it. I just want to worship him. Now, this is not some sentimental deal. It's not contrived. So I want to ask you, what has the Holy Spirit told you to do? Has he told you to do anything? If you haven't turned off the television, if you haven't turned aside from some of these grosser things like the movies, Hollywood, Netflix, if you haven't turned aside from the secular and worldly videos, you'll never hear God speak to you. He'll let you just continue feasting on the the rat poison, the pesticides, the things that will kill you. But if you want Jesus, you're going to have to turn these things off. And then he'll begin to speak and he'll tell you very specific actions that he wants you to take that will be, in effect, necessary to kill your self-love and your pride and your arrogance before Almighty God. Jesus loves you. He is eager to have that intimacy with you. This Sunday at the church, I'm going to be speaking about John 17. We're going to walk in depth and look at what does Jesus want with you and with me. You're welcome to come if the Holy Spirit has called you. This is not a drop-in church. It's a place where a few men and women called by the Holy Spirit come together to be in intimacy with Jesus. If that's what you want, go to our webpage, webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. 
nationalprayerchapel.com and you'll find our address and how to reach us. We're a, we're a house church and you're welcome to come if you come in obedience to the Holy Spirit. I also invite you to give as the Holy Spirit prompts you. Finances have been tight the last two months, but I know Jesus is opening the way. He's told me he would carry it. So you can write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Now you can also go online to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I want to thank Dirk and the many others who've been giving online. You bring such hope and joy and courage to my heart. Thank you. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find directions to come to the church. You'll find directions for how to call to get more information. And you can give online. Lord Jesus, I just lift before you each man and each woman, Lord, who has who has listened today and whose heart is also eager for you, Jesus. I pray for them as they are serious with you and as they see what you are asking them to do in order to enter into intimacy with you. For I know that intimacy only comes out of crucifixion. I know it doesn't come out of fantasy. I know it doesn't come out of our own heart. It comes out of Jesus' heart. So I plead today for every man and woman that you would instruct them very clearly on what they are to do, whether it's that baby step of turning off the television, turning off the Netflix, whatever it is, Jesus, would you begin to speak to your people and bring them into revival. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory with, with great joy Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of His glory